And I've labeled this and I've entitled this series. We're going to walk through the first 11 chapters over the next several months. It might take us all the way to uh, November. So, but it, these 11 chapters are so important for us. So I, I don't want to get bogged down. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. Like, wait, Todd, you're going to take till November to get through Genesis 1 through 11? Yes, I am. And if truth be told, I could take us way longer. I won't do that to us. But these first 11 chapters are so important for us to know and to hear and ultimately to respond. Genesis is, is the very word means origin. It means where it all started. So that's why we labeled it origins, the study of Genesis. Because everything that we hold to be true about who God is, what God has done, who we are, and, and what God is going to do can be found in these first 11 chapters. Just for a moment, think if we didn't have Genesis chapter 1. We wouldn't have Matthew chapter 1. If God didn't create man, then God, well, there'd be no need for a genealogy of Jesus. And so if you just take the first four words out of this Bible, then the rest of the Bible has nothing to be founded on. So this is the very foundation of all that we believe to be true. The book of Genesis is broken into two sections. Uh, the first section is verse, chapters 1 through 11. That's the primeval history. That's the origins of the world. How it all got started. And then the, the last section, 12 through ver, chapter 50, is the, the patriarchal history. The, the, the patriarchs of the Jewish people. You know that to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And so the rest of the book is looking primarily at those four people. But what chapters 1 through 11 do is look at, at four primary things. It looks at these four primary things. There's a pattern through the four stories that you see in chapters 1 through 11. The four stories primarily are this. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, and finally in chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. But you can see a pattern through these four stories. The patterns are this, that there's sin. And when there's sin, God speaks a penalty into that sin. The, The third thing is this, that there's grace for the sin that's committed by God's people. And ultimately, there's a penalty or there's a punishment for the sin. So you see, we'll see that throughout these next several weeks, that there's sin, God speaks, there's grace, and there's punishment. And so this morning, I want to start with this one word, because this one word is where it all starts for us. Look at these four words. In the beginning, God. Look at where it begins. So often we come to God's word and we think God's word is about us. That God gave us his word for us. It does not say in the beginning, man. It says in the beginning, God. Notice this, the first sentence, who the subject of the first sentence is God. The writer of the book of Genesis is saying to us, first and foremost, the subject of this book, the subject of this whole book is not you, but it is God. We have to come to that first. 
that this book is not primarily about you, but it's primarily about a holy God. And this word, if we believe it to be true, is about God, then what we think about God will shape who we are. But if we come to God's word and we think God's word is about us, then we will make God shape ourselves to conform to this, rather this conform to us than us conform to it. If I'm the subject of this book, then I, will, I won't want to conform. I want this to conform to me. We know that to be true today. The world has taken God's word and made it more about them than God. That, that's how sin is so prevalent. That's how sin is so rampant. That's how so many things within our world are, are being excused. Well, that's not really what who said. God said. He didn't really mean that when he talked about marriages. He didn't really mean a man and a woman. That's not really. Right. If it starts with man, then we're going to we'll conform everything that God's word says around us. But no, it starts with God. The word God that's used in this passage is this. It's the word Elohim. It's amazing that of all the names of God that could be chosen is this Elohim. You know what the word Elohim means? Power and majesty. But here's what it also means. It's the only word used for God that is plural. So from the very get go in the fourth word of the first sentence, we see the Trinity. So God doesn't start by saying God Yahweh. He says God Elohim, God three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So think about that for a moment. Out of all the names of God that could be used, He uses the name that's going to point us to that there is a Trinitarian God. That, that blew my mind when I was reading that. So we serve a God that's three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here's what else is true about chapter, just chapter 1. 35 times that name is used in one chapter. So tell me who's the subject of chapter 1. It's not creation. It's the creator of the creation. But how often do we focus on the creation rather than the creator? So right from the start, the Bible sees and we see God wants us to know that it's about him and him alone. Here's what's true about God that we must know. We've got to know who this God is before we get into the rest of the chapter. We've got to know who this God is before you read any more of the book. Of Genesis, any more of the Bible. If you don't know who this God is, then the rest of this book doesn't matter and the rest of the Bible doesn't matter. So, who is God? And so, we can't come to this passage and say, In the beginning, God. That's so confusing to us. God was before all things. Now, this is where my mind starts blowing up. God had no beginning. God has always been. 
And so we got to go behind the curtains before creation and see what was going on in heaven before God, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, sustaining all things, spoke things into being. This is the God that we must know. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. This is before the creation of the world we see. Now, Isaiah is being taken into heaven, but this is a glimpse of what's always been happening in heaven. We're going to fast forward in a moment to Revelation chapter 4. This is what will always happen after this world is destroyed. So pre-creation and post-creation, we see the same thing. Isaiah chapter 6. That's page 571 in your pew Bibles. It says this in chapter 6, verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw Yahweh. I saw Elohim sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe was filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he had covered his face. And with two he had covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another. I could stop there and just talk about those angels for a moment. The way God created the angels. I will for a moment. Just think about this for a moment. They have six wings. Two of them what? Covering their face. Because they can't even look at the holiness of God. A holy angel cannot look at the holiness of God. Like they have no sin. Sin is what hampers us, hampered Moses from looking at God. But God in his wisdom and his sovereignty, even to the angels, he said to the angels, you can't even look at me. Therefore, I'm going to give you wings to cover your face. And then look where the other two wings were. They covered their feet. Remember Moses at the burning bush, he said, hey, you're standing on holy ground. So they have to have their feet covered as they're in the temple worshiping a holy God. Their feet are covered because they're in the holiness of God. And then the two other wings are just them flying around. Again, think about that for a moment. So here's the angels flying and they say this. Of all the things they could have said, about this God. What do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now let's turn to Revelation chapter 4. This is John. John had been taken up into heaven. And John sees the very same thing that Isaiah saw some thousand years before. So this, and then there's four living creatures. This is verse 7. Like an eagle in flight. In verse 8, and the four living creatures each had how many wings? And how many wings did Isaiah see? Six. Coincidence? I think not. And we're full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never ceased. And what did they never cease saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. 
You see, we first must start with this. The God of the Bible is a holy God. And if we begin to understand and realize how holy God is, that will give us a lens to look through all of Scripture. You see, in a moment, I'm going to look at the attributes of God, this God, Elohim, in this first two verses. But we must get our eyes and hearts around the idea that God is holy. And it's through His holiness that He's loved. It's through His holiness that He creates. It's through His holiness that He's self-existent. It's through His holiness and on and on we can go. It starts with the holiness of God, not the love of God. Do you realize the angels were not saying love, 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 mercy, 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 grace, grace, grace. All those are true of God. But all those are only true of God because of His holiness. Do we believe in the holiness of God? I know we want to believe in a God that's love, a God that's graceful, a God that's merciful. But we have to start with God's holiness. Do we believe that God is holy? Because out of that, we will see the rest of his attributes. Here's what's amazing. I said it just a moment ago. We see not only God is holy, but the Son is holy. And who else is holy? The Spirit is holy. If we serve a Trinitarian God, that's true of all three of the person of God. God the Son is holy, God the Holy Spirit is holy, and God the Father is holy. And all three were at creation. I'll look at that again in a moment. Here's what else is true about these four words. Really, these three words before we get to God. In the beginning, there's two other books in all the Bible that that's how it starts. And if you know the two other books of the Bible, you'll understand how this is true about Genesis. And they're both the other two writers, Mark and John. That's the only two other books in all the Bible that says in the beginning. And it says in the beginning, the gospel in the beginning, God. It all talks about Jesus. And those two books, Mark is about the person of Jesus and John is about the power of Jesus. So here we see in the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. Where does it start for us? Does it start with the person of Christ? Does it start with the Father? Does it start with the Holy Spirit? John and Mark are affirming what is true about Genesis. Let's look for a moment about this holy God in verse 1 of Genesis. This is what's true about God. That God is self-existent. That means that God doesn't know anything else. He exists in and of Himself. Unlike this, the AC, the AC is great, but the AC doesn't have what? Electricity. We got issues. Right? Like the AC isn't self-existent. It needs something else to help it. That's not true of God. God is self-existent. God has no origin. My mind goes haywire when I try to begin to think that there's no beginning and there's no end to God. Because everything, the way our minds operate, is we can all get to a place of a beginning. Like everything that we see had a beginning. 
Like this piece of wood right here started somewhere in the ground as a seed. And it grew and grew and grew until someone cut it up, until it got in the hands of Jack, who formed it, who sanded it, who made it into a pulpit, who then put it all together. Like we can trace this thing all the way back to its origins. You can trace your own life all the way back to your origins. That's why you have what we call a birthday. Like you and I, we, that's how our minds think. Our minds cannot comprehend that something started out of nothing. But that's true of God. And we must know that that's true of God. That no other being has ever been created that wasn't created first, but God was. The reason that the writer of Genesis starts here is this. If you know about the Israelites, what was happening when you go back and look at when Genesis was written, the Israelites had wandered away from God. And in wandering away from God, they began to worship other gods. We see that throughout the Old Testament. The heart of the Israelites were prone to wander from God to go after other gods. So the writer says from the very get-go, let me remind you that all those other gods had a creator. It's this God who had no creator. He is in of himself. I think it's so true for us. We've got to get back there. How often does your heart wander? And how often does my heart wander to other gods? Now, I may not create a, a, an idol and put it on my dresser and worship it, but I promise you this, if you and I did a heart evaluation, we have other idols in our lives. It could be our families, it could be our jobs, it could be our pocketbooks. You and I have other idols in our life. We are prone to wander. And so we've got to get back to Genesis 1.1. No, my heart must be set on the God who has no creator in and of himself. That will adjust my heart back to him rather than the creation because of the creator. That's the reason that is written in the beginning, God. And it must be true for us. Do you believe that God is self-existent? Here's what else is true about God. He always had a plan. He has always had a plan. You see, in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, we do not have a God that then saw Adam and Eve take a fruit and eat it and then scramble in heaven. You see, the fall was not a mystery to God. Sin was not a mystery. Before God ever created anything, He had a plan and it was a plan of redemption. We know that from this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. God is a God of wisdom. That's one of His attributes. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This is the Apostle Peter preaching. And he says this. This Jesus delivered up according to the what? The definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. That's before creation. He had a plan. God had a plan to send His Son who was at creation for our redemption. And He was crucified. You killed Him by your hands. So the plan was that Christ would be delivered up on our behalf. 
Here's what else the plan says. But you got to go back to the holiness of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says this. We preached on this a few months ago. Even as He, God, chose us in Him, Jesus, where? Before the foundations of the world. So God had a plan for your life before the foundations of the world. That ought to blow our minds. It's not out of God picking and choosing. It's out of God's holiness that God had a plan who he would choose to save and to redeem. First Peter says it this way. He who was foreknown before the foundations of the world. That's before you were born. I don't know if you're picking up on that yet. That's before your first daddy was born. You didn't have a mama or daddy yet. But it says this before the foundations of the world, God had a plan for your life. You cannot thwart God's plan for your life if it happened before the foundations of the world. That's the wisdom and sovereignty of God. But that comes out of his holiness. Before the foundation of the world, but he made manifest in the last days for the sake of who? You. Before the foundation of the world. Here's how Revelation says it. 13.8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship Everyone whose name was writ- has not been written before when? Before the foundations of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So he just told us there was a book in heaven before the foundation of the world and your name was written in it. Amen. I got one amen. Let me say this one more time. There is a book in heaven before the creation of the world and your name was in it before you were ever thought of. That's because of His holiness and His goodness and His kindness. Not because of any decision you made. Your name was already written in it. He don't have a pen every day rewriting names in the book. He don't have a Rolodex, fellas. He's got a book with your name. It's already been in it. And 2,000 years ago, from today, through 2,000 years from now, people's names are already written in that book. That's because of God's holiness. But if you don't understand God's holiness, then nothing else about predestination will make sense. So we know God to be true. That he's self-existent, that he's sovereign in control, he's holy. And here's the other one. Two more. He's self-sufficient. Here's the truth about God. He doesn't need you. And he don't need me. Here's what one writer says. God does not need us. He is not dependent on us. He needs nothing. God did not have to create in order to feel good about himself. Neither did he need mankind to relate in order to discover himself. You hear what the writer is saying? 
He doesn't need you. He knows who He is. He's in control. He's got enough of Himself. He doesn't need me to, to tell Him who He is. Like whether I worship God and say He's holy or not, you know what He knows to be true about Himself? He knows He's holy. He doesn't need me to tell Him that. But He invites me into that so it will change me. When I look at Him, when I look at Him, it changes me. He doesn't look at me and change. I look at Him and change. He is self-sufficient. All the way back to those first few words. In the beginning, God. So when we look at God being self-sufficient, He didn't need creation in order to justify who He was or bring validation to Himself. It says this about Him. Not only is He self-sufficient, but it goes back to the Trinity. Those three work hand in hand. We see that in this first two verses. It says this, that God created... And how did he create? That's God the Father creating. Verse 3 says this. And God said. That's God the Son. We know this to be true in John chapter 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. So when God speaks, it's who coming out of God the Father's mouth? The Son. So God creates through the Son... See, it's self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't need me to do any of it. And then it says this in chapter 1, verse 2. And who was also there? The Spirit. And He was hovering over the face of the earth. Now, why would the Spirit be hovering over the face of the earth? Do you realize, even if God creates it, through Christ speaking it, we need something to sustain it or it will all fall to pieces. Like this world doesn't circle around because I get up in the morning. This world is circling around. The sun is rising and setting because the Spirit of God is still hovering over His creation. He is the one that's sustaining it, not us. So God the Father creates. God the Son speaks. Speaks it into existence, and then the Holy Spirit sustains it. Now, let me say this one time: If God, the Holy Spirit, can sustain all creation, I think He can stay, can sustain your life. Do, do you realize if one molecule falls out of place without the Holy Spirit sustaining it, all things will crumble to pieces? That's just one molecule. So I think we can trust that God created you through Christ Jesus into existence and we can trust the Spirit to sustain you through all things. But let me go back to, do we believe in the beginning God? Or do we believe in the beginning Todd? Because if I believe in myself, when life gets hard, my life falls apart. Because I'm trying to sustain it. I'm trying to move things into place so I feel all right. Or I step back and trust God that He's sustaining all things. He doesn't need my help with my life. He's got a plan for my life. All I have to do is surrender to that plan. Here's the last thing that we see. In His attributes, in this one verse. He is self-determined. God's creation was His plan, not my plan. 
And it wasn't out of boredom. You see that? God wasn't bored in heaven and thought, man, I'm running out of stuff to do up here. No, he had a plan. He was determined. And what he was determined to do is create creation so that creation would worship him, all of creation. That's what his plan from the very get go. And you are going to see this throughout the creation story. Everything we see it in Romans. That even the trees will cry out to God. He says, if you don't in Matthew, he says, you don't cry. I'll make these rocks cry out because he's self-determined to get worship for his holiness. And he gives us us the only creature really to have an invitation into that. A tree does not have the power to say no to God's holiness. Now, you and I do in our sin. But he's self-determined. It says this in Isaiah chapter 40. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And what man shows him his counsel? Like, that's my trade. I'm a counselor by trade. God's never going to sit on my couch and talk to me about his problems. Now, I better sit on his couch a lot and talk to him about my problems, but he ain't ever coming to me for counsel. This is what it says in Romans chapter 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Here's what Isaiah says. His ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. He is self-determined. He doesn't need a manual. He don't need YouTube. Am I the only one that goes to YouTube for help? He don't need YouTube. He's self-determined. He's got a plan. And he will accomplish his plan. Two last things we see and then we'll close. His actions. He is the creator. He set it into motion. He is the one that creates through the word of his son. He simply spoke it into existence. That's his plan. And it's through his actions, not mine. And then I want us to look at this last one in his speaking, through his holiness through his actions of putting things into place is the last thing we see over and over and over again, which is true of you and me, and I'll get into it more next week. Christ always gives us affirmation. Whenever God created, we see that throughout the creation story, there's always an affirmation. Day one, it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. Day six, it was good. And then he looked at us and said, oh, wait, it is very good. The only thing that he said was not good is that man would be alone. And then he made woman. And then you know what man said? Whoa, man, she fine. That's that's my interpretation. But, But you see, I get an amen. I mean, men in the room, if you marry, you better say amen. So, so God, when He creates, He always affirms His creation. He is not a God that's like a potter. When the potter puts clay on the wheel and He begins to form it, takes it when He doesn't like what He's made and starts over. God never had to start over. He created and made it and said it was good. And then He got to us and said it's very good. You know why we are the only thing to be called very good? 
It's because we are the only thing in all of creation that bears His image. So He's not saying you are very good. He's making a declaration about Himself. I am very good. We'll get into that more next week. Who do you say that God is this morning? Is He Elohim? The Master, the Savior of your life? Is He all-powerful? Is He the Holy of Holies of Holies in your life? If He's not there, then, then the rest of this series won't make a hill of beans to you. Everything in God's Word will always point us back to a holy, sovereign God. Let us pray. God, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for this creation story.